Hey, this is Bridget. Hi, this is Annie. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Today, we are talking about bad feminism. Bad feminism. If you're familiar with Roxanne Gay, spelled with one N. Yes. Very important to note. Very important. You probably already know a little bit about what we mean when we say bad feminist. Yeah, and um, if you haven't read it, go out and find it because it's excellent. Uh, she touches on all kinds of things. She It's a series of essays about intersectional feminism, um, about like pop culture, from the Hunger Games to faking orgasms. And one of the things I love about it is that it's so relatable. I definitely found myself relating to a lot of her essays, particularly the ones that make you think about your own behavior and your own thoughts as a feminist. Yeah. Overall, I'm really, really into the message that it's okay to be sort of figuring these things out as feminists and not always get it exactly right. Yeah, and a lot of people, when they hear bad feminist or bad feminism, I think there's this knee-jerk reaction of like, oh, you think you're too cool to be feminist. You're better than feminism. But that's not what she was saying at all. She was saying exactly what you're saying, Bridget, is that we put feminists on a pedestal a lot, or feminism on a pedestal a lot, and it's this perfection that can never be achieved. And we're all complex people, and uh, we're going to make mistakes, and we're going to have flaws. Exactly. That's why we had that series, Problematic Faves. And yeah. I always like to remind people that the reason that we do that series is not to, like, drag Taylor Swift or drag Judge Judy or drag Lena Dunham. It's because we need to acknowledge the ways that we're all our own problematic faves. Like, I always say... I am my own problematic fave in that I f*** up all the time, I get it wrong all the time. Sometimes it happens in public. Sometimes it happens on a public podcast, even. Sometimes. Yeah, that part of that, part of being a feminist is learning and growing, and sometimes it's tough, but that's being a feminist, I think. Yeah. And um, here are some stats for you. According to a 2016 national survey conducted by the Washington Post and Kaiser Family Foundation, Six out of ten women and a third of men call themselves either feminist or strong feminist. And about seven out of ten called the feminist movement an empowering one. However, four out of ten labeled the movement as an angry one and also one that unfairly puts the blame on men. So this is something I have a lot of experience with. Um, One, I have so many friends that would say, well, I'm not a feminist. Right. I just believe that women and men should be equal. Right. And I say, well, you are a feminist. Or they'll say something like, I'm not a feminist. I don't hate men. And I say, I don't hate men either. I mean, I actually do, but that's another story. <laughs> it's not a requirement for feminism. Yeah, so you can still be a feminist even if you don't hate men. Um, yeah, and so I think there is, for some reason, we get ingrained with this anxiety around the F word. Yeah. And I think you even see it with celebrities where so many of them in interviews when asked, are you a feminist? They kind of shirk that label and yeah. it reveals a kind of anxiety around just wear, just proudly wearing this, this hat of, as being a feminist. Yeah, that's exactly what Taylor Swift said. She actually was quoted as saying, as a teenager, I didn't understand that saying you're a feminist is just saying that you hope men and women will have equal rights and opportunities. What it seemed to me is that the way it was phrased in culture and society was that you hate men. And now I think a lot of girls have had a feminist awakening because they understand what that word means. For so long, it's been made to seem like something where you'd pick it against the opposite sex, but it's not about that at all. And so I think you're right. You see this evolution where, for some reason, the word feminism, the idea of feminism, 
seems to imply that you hate men, that you're picketing against men, that you're trying to take away rights for men, yeah. when in fact, it's not that. And so when people realize, oh, feminism has been branded in this way that's not true at all, they kind of have that come to Jesus moment where they say, oh, yeah, I am a, I am a feminist. And Taylor Swift now identifies as a feminist, and she credits Lena Dunham, of all people, with mm-hmm. helping her see the light. Yeah. Um, there's another episode we'll have to come back to and do where uh, you can look at Google Trends graph and you can see like when feminism started to enter the popular culture and language, it spiked with all of these other like angry woman, all these stereotypes we have about feminism. They happened at the same time. And a lot of them were perpetuated by men who didn't want women to go out driving by themselves. They didn't know what they'd get up to in the 1950s. Um, there's another poll from Vox conducted in 2005 that found that even though 85% of Americans want equality for women, only 18% call themselves feminist. And a similar poll in 2016 by YouGov found that about 25% of Americans identify as feminist, one-third of female respondents, and less than one-fifth of male respondents. So there is a gap there. And the most common response given for why respondents said they weren't feminist was feminists are too extreme, followed by feminists are anti-men. So clearly this is not just us <laughs> seeing this. This is a real, a real phenomena that's happening. I would like to note that, as always with surveys, how many people are going to say they aren't for equality of the sexes? That's exactly the thing. Somehow it's easier to frame it as, of course I'm pro-equality, because saying, oh, I don't think, I'm not down with equality, makes you sound like a dick, right? And so no one's going to say that. (laughs) Right. But you can say, oh, I'm not feminist. That's too much. That's going too far. If we go back to Roxane Gay, I I do think a lot of of us have these questions about whether or not we are a good enough feminist. You can find so many essays, just so many, and articles and books about what feminism means and what good feminism is, and a lot of them are in opposition to each other. One in particular I read, um, it suggested that in order for feminism to work, all women have to enter the workforce, or at least an equal amount of women to men, and therefore we will get equal pay. Mm. But yeah, that's I annoying. don't think that would work. No, and it's ignoring a lot of choices and women and problems that we face. When I was researching this, I also found a 2017 article in Bon Appetit. Um, titled Noted I, Feminist Publication yeah, Bon Appetit. Exactly. Actually, they were one of our sponsors, so when I, I love Bon Appetit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan. Um, the article is titled, I Thought Cooking Made Me a Bad Feminist. And it's actually an interesting read. The author describes um, cooking for women as, quote, inherently political. And she talks about this sort of complicated relationship women have with cooking where you're shamed for being a stay-at-home mom, but at the same time, if you show up to a bake sale without homemade donuts, you bought store-bought donuts or whatever, you're shamed for that, too. Are you saying that women can't win no matter what we do? <laughs> we can't have it all? What? <laughs> I mean, that's something that I really identify with. Um, as, a, as a loud and proud feminist, obviously, something that I had to sort of come to terms with is the fact that I have this sort of almost... 50s housewife style person inside of me. I love to entertain. Nothing fills me with like happiness more than cooking a big meal and having someone in my house and me being like, oh, can I get you another beer? Can I make (laughs) you a drink? I made this elaborate meal. And I think for a while that made me feel a little anxious that, you know, who is this person that like lives to serve? Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's just 
cooking is fun. Cooking is my is my stress relief, and I do feel contentment in providing a really comfortable space for someone who I care for is something that makes me feel good. And so I kind of had to just say, it's okay. It doesn't have anything to do with my feminism that I have this kind of desire to please and serve. It's just, you know. Yeah. I think in the article, um, she came to the conclusion that um, cooking like feminism takes many different forms. And she also kind of separated it by the choice. Like you choose to cook because you like it. It's not that you have to because that's your quote, job. Yeah. Um, also, invite me over sometime, Bridget. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime, Annie. Yes. Yeah. I also think, I mean, the choice thing is so real because it's the expectation. If I am expected to come home after work and make dinner for someone because they don't know how to do it themselves or it's my responsibility to feed them, I'm not down with that. Yeah. When it's, when it's you know, when it does not feel like an obligation, that's when I'm interested in doing it. The second that it becomes like a mandatory thing, like you are the woman, you shall cook and serve and get me a beer, Yeah, no dice. And I almost think it comes back to, I've done a lot of reading about black feminists and the power of the domestic, and oftentimes we think about women who cook and serve and run a household as not having any power. But in fact, in a lot of cases, black women were running kitchens, running households, running families, and they did have a kind of power, just not the kind of power that you would maybe think. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think it really can come back to this discounting of power that is associated with women, and the domestic is very associated with women, and so we automatically have to sneer at it. Right, yeah. Um, I am exactly the same way about obligation and expectation. I'm happy to cook, but don't expect me to cook. (laughs) It's It's a fun thing to explain to someone. And I remember hearing this interview, and this was years ago, and it stuck with me, um, where whoever was being interviewed said that women shouldn't bring baked goods to the office because then they won't be able to get get ahead. People will see them as somehow like, oh, less than. She doesn't have aspirations. And it stuck with me. After that, I was like thinking about all the times I'd bought in baked goods with shame. What have I done? <laughs> what do Those people double think of brownies. me? <laughs> I know. I'll never get a promotion. I'll never live it down. What my, was I thinking? My coworkers must think so little of me. Um, so we could do a whole episode on the relationship between women and cooking, and we should. Um, but going back to feminism, just to, to say the straight-up dictionary definition is the theory of the political, economic, and social equality of the sexes. But then there's all this other stuff that we've attached to it. And I think a lot of them are have confused the definition, have muddied it, sometimes accidentally, sometimes purposefully. And because of that, a lot of us feel like we're failing as feminists or we're not up to par to say that we're feminist. And it's one of the reasons we're doing this episode is because I felt that way for a long, long time. But this show helped me, helped me overcome that and... Uh, now, yeah, I'm a loud and proud feminist, too. So, Annie, tell us about that. I, just from knowing you personally, you've talked about how working on uh, stuff I've never told you behind the scenes for many years helped you come to terms with your own feminism. Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, for a long time, I thought that I was a bad feminist, that I wasn't doing enough as a feminist. And um, to set the scene, <laughs> let me take you back to that dreaded time of high school. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We had this teacher who was sort of a good old Southern boy, and he had a rule that all the boys in class would get the books because we checked out our school books, 
and they'd pass them out to the girls in class. Yeah, <laughs> this was the rule. And I always shaped it because I was stubborn and independent, and also I sat right next to the bookcase. So to me, it was just a waste of time. I could just get my own book. Uh, and one day I did. I just reached across and got my own book because, of course, the way the desks were structured, I got my book last. So I reached across and got it, and the guy who was in charge of handing out the books that day said, Annie, are you a feminist? <gasps> <gasps> and the whole, I'm not kidding, the whole classroom went quiet. What is she going to say? Is she a feminist? And I, inside. <laughs> was, there, was there a murmur of whispers yes. like, is Annie a feminist? Yes. You guys, I think Annie might be a feminist. Oh, is she, is she a feminist? Yes. It's one of those scenes that I see in like movies about high school that I think that doesn't really happen. It, it happens. happens. It happens. It does. And I, inside, I was just panicking. I seized up. Like, oh, no. Because I knew that saying you're a feminist, it would come with, it had this negative connotation, and then it was going to come with all of these expectations on me. All of a sudden, I was going to have to live up to this thing. And I'm pretty sure I just made some kind of, like, cop-out joke, um, you were taking too long or something. Like, I was just doing, just trying to get the book a bit quicker but then they did not drop it the class did not drop it and they were like do you shave your leg do you wear makeup do you wear a bra and you know this was my freshman year of high school I was so mortified and to be a good feminist in my mind at the time I thought the answers to those questions were no like no I don't shave my legs no I don't wear makeup no I don't wear a bra exactly interesting but I did all of those things and looking back it seems so silly that that was enough for me to be like, oh, no, I'm not a feminist. I thought I was, but I guess not. I mean, that just goes to show how much anxiety we put on ourselves when we call ourselves a feminist. That, oh, no, I said I was a feminist, but I shave my legs and wear makeup and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. What must people think? You know, yes. and, and it, it really I think it starts from an early age. I agree. Yeah. And I also I, too, thought that it meant you hated men. And um, because of that. I had a teacher tell me, and it was a female teacher, and I'm still really mad about this. When I was in um, seventh grade, I loved math. It was my favorite subject. And she told me that math was a men's subject, like it was for boys, and girls didn't really do good in it, and that no boy was going to want to date me <laughs> unless unless I did worse. Like I, she, she didn't want me to embarrass the other men in the was class. Was she a math teacher? Yes. So she's basically telling her students to be worse at math. Doesn't sound like a great teacher, I gotta say. No, <laughs> and I'm still really mad about it because What's I, her name? Put her on blast. <laughs> Call her out. <laughs> Expose her, Annie. <laughs> I'm coming for you. <laughs> I just show up in my hometown. Oh, man. I, I used to ask for extra worksheets, and then I was like, okay, I guess I'll, I'll not do that anymore. As I got older, I put, I put a ton of exclamation points in emails. I say sorry all the time. I do like baking things and bringing them in. Because if I make cookies and they're around, I'll eat all the cookies. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to, but the temptation is too much. There's a 24-hour delivery cookie delivery service in Atlanta, and I'm notorious for it, like 2 a.m. <laughs> ordering cookies. I want to know more about these 2 a.m. cookie runs. <laughs> oh, man. I have got such a funny story about that. <laughs> Another episode. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll take that one off air. <laughs> yeah. So I want to dive more into this. At, not the cookies. <laughs> your feminism. Yes. After a quick break. Mm-hmm. 
And we're back. And Annie was just telling me how her journey to feminism kind of came to be now that she's a, a co-host of a feminist podcast. From a, a reluctant high school feminist to a co-host of a feminist podcast. How do we get there? Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so we're moving out of high school and now I'm in college. And I was a feminist. Looking back, I can say I, I participated in things, but I did it kind of in stealth mode, like in hiding, because I didn't want people to point at me and say, well, you're you're not a good enough feminist or you're you're being a fraud or something. So I kind of did everything in secret. Um, and I, I would write all these pieces and then not publish them because I was afraid that it would reveal some secret sexist view I had that I didn't know I had. <laughs> which is ridiculous. And I think the definition of feminism was still warped in my head. I still didn't have it quite down. And I had a, I still thought there was a negative connotation with that. And um, during my senior year, I got an internship at How Stuff Works at this very company. And I started to produce Stuff Mom Never Told You. And I'm not kidding when I say it changed my life. I had everything so wrong, Bridget. I, I just needed, I needed that kind of hearing from other women who are also flawed and also still learning and still pushing themselves to be better. I just needed that example. And um, having that over the years, it just gave me so much. And then hearing from all the listeners, that gave me so much. And it gave me the the courage to, <laughs> to finally say to myself, yes, you are a feminist and that's good. And you should say that to people loudly. <laughs> yeah, that that's so powerful for me. I mean, I, you're a bit younger than me, but I remember what it was like to find a kind of a, a piece of media that spoke to my feminism in a way that I hadn't seen before and, and really affirmed it. And for me, it was Bitch Magazine because, yeah. I'm, you know, we didn't have podcasts back then. But that was the thing that was this lifeline where, you know, I grew up in the South. I grew up in a pretty, you know, good old boy, Southern I mean, I, I call it a hick town sometimes, but that's probably a little bit, I probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> but, you know, I say it with love. Yeah. And when I found that magazine, I was like, oh, my God, there's a whole world out there that I don't even know about. I had been sort of this lonely, lefty, alty, feministy, queer person in my town feeling really alone and feeling like maybe I would never meet anybody else like me. I was sort of burdened by being this, you know, weird kid. And when I found Bitch Magazine... I thought, oh my God, there are other people out there. Like I could, I could be at a cool restaurant in New York City with other weird feminists from other small towns, and we could all kick it together. Like that was a big thing. And so when people write in about Sminty, sometimes they'll say, "I live in a small town, and I don't really get a lot of feminist media." And podcasts can be a beacon. And I, I just really identify with that. What it feels like when you find a piece of creative content that just speaks to something in you that you didn't even really know needed to be spoken to. Yeah. And I, especially coming from a small town, which I grew up in a small town as well, and I also was sort of the local liberal. (laughs) Um, And when you're in a small town, it's hard to see outside of the options that are sort of painted for you. So all my friends were in pretty serious relationships in, in high school. Like, you know, you have the, oh, they're probably going to get married and they're going to have kids. And they, they just had their life planned out for them. And that was never going to be in the cards for me. But I think I tried it because that's that's what people did. And I was trying to fit into that and I just couldn't do it. It was, it was never, never going to happen. 
a lot of people would talk to me as if it was a phase and I was going to grow out of it or I was going to get older and wiser. Uh, You know, it was a very strange, very strange thing. And then to start working on this show and just have your worldview expanded and given all these avenues of of thinking and it, it was very very rewarding and enlightening and it helped me personally grow so much <sighs> and I think about high school Annie sometimes and I'm like oh <laughs> it gets better it does get better and I I, I one of the things I love about doing the show is that if we can tell one young person out there that even if you're the person who doesn't really fit in in your community, you can find a new community. Even if your family thinks you're the weirdo, you can find a new family, right? That it's okay. We're all we all go through this, and you know, for the for the little version of junior high me who's out there in Bumble, Virginia, listening to this podcast in her bedroom with the door closed, thinking I want to have a you know a different kind of life than the life I see all around me. You can have that life. I hope that that is happening. I do too, yeah. And one of the things I think about, I think about this all the time. When I was taking the GRE, which is the Graduate Records Examination, a couple years ago, um, the essay prompt was something along the lines of, is it possible for us to have heroes in a world with so much constant media coverage? And I think about that all the time. But it gets back to that same idea of bad feminist and bad feminism, and there aren't perfect people and we are expecting people to be perfect and uh, I think that's just something to watch out for because that doesn't exist none of us are perfect no even if we put on this label of I'm a feminist I'm super woke I'm super progressive I'm a little miss lefty we all up we all make mistakes and it's so much easier to grapple with that and others, even though it's hard, yeah. but it's even, it's almost sometimes it feels impossible to accept that about ourselves. And that's why I love Roxane Gay's book so much, because it's all about sort of embracing our own frailties and our own blind spots and our own issues and our own, our own hangups in a way that is, when you accept that, it's almost liberating. Like, yeah, I am a bad feminist. If someone says, hey, you say that you're a feminist, but you did this thing once. It's like, yeah, maybe I'm a bad feminist. I'm still a feminist. Yeah. I'm just bad at it. Yeah. I love the example she gives where she loves rap music, but she, the lyrics are, like appall her. Yeah, that's one I definitely identify with. Yeah, me too. It's just good to run to. Okay, so we have a little bit more to talk about with you. But first, one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Thank you, sponsor. Okay, so doing this episode, I tried to come up with what the image is for a perfect feminist, and I honestly could not do it. And I think it is in part because that person doesn't exist. If you're waiting for yourself to become the perfect feminist, one that everyone agrees with, you're going to be waiting forever, and you're going to waste a lot of time that you could have spent doing good work and helping and supporting people. We're all complex and flawed humans and we aren't perfect and we just need to accept it. It's both comforting and not comforting, but mostly comforting, I think. I think it's comforting. Once you just opt out of having to be perfect, Mm -hmm. you have so much more fun. You're so much more relaxed. You can sort of accept things about yourself. I think it helps you grow and learn because if you're perfect, you don't need to grow. You already have all the answers. But if you say, 
I'm not perfect. You get to sort of go on more journeys that get you someplace good instead of just being smug in your perfection. Yeah. This actually reminds me of uh, those who listened to the Icebreaker episode. (laughs) I don't know if it made it in, but uh, I had a big crush on Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day. And he has this quote. He says he doesn't believe practice makes perfect because nobody's perfect. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Billy Joe Armstrong. Is it Joe or Joel? Joe. Billy Joe Armstrong, friend of the show. (laughs) Feminist friend of the show. (laughs) I hope so. Please write in. (laughs) (laughs) If you're listening, Annie loves you. High school Annie would have died probably if she got a note from Billy Joe Armstrong. Yeah, there's always room for improvement. um, And feminism is no exception. And I think the first step for me was accepting that label. And another good step is always listening. Listening is... I think people discount that all the time, but it's so important. And know when to speak up. Have those good, uncomfortable conversations. Lord knows I had one over this Christmas break. Oof. (laughs) But I did it. (laughs) Um, Understanding that feminism, while at its core, is simple, is complex and nuanced. And there are a lot of different voices and intersections. And keep educating yourself. I feel like I'm talking to, I'm, pre- I'm preaching to the choir because all of you are probably way ahead of me on this. <laughs> but it, it's worth repeating. And be honest with yourself. Be honest with where you could improve. And go out and try to improve yourself in those areas. I love it. And I think our unofficial motto here at the show is learn and grow together, right? Yeah. And so that's what we're trying to do here. I'm glad that you're taking this journey with me because Lord knows I have so many avenues where I could learn and grow, and I want to I do that together because, you know, nobody's a perfect feminist. We're all figuring it out. We're all just trying our best, and I think that's okay. And sometimes that looks messy and awkward and uncomfortable. Yeah. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's mundane. Sometimes it's boring, but we're doing the work. Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy to be here on this journey with you too, Bridget. Well, Sminty listeners, we want to know, how has your feminism journey played out? Are you learning and growing alongside with us? You can find us on Instagram at Stuff I Never Told You, on Twitter at MomStuff Podcast, and as always, keep sending those emails at MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. <laughs> <laughs>